McKinsey Talks Operations is a podcast where the world's C-suite leaders and McKinsey experts cut through the noise and uncover how to create a new operational reality. Each episode considers the challenges companies and economies are facing and the opportunities leaders can cease for competitive advantage. We'll look at how to connect the boardroom strategy to the front lines, ways to increase performance, and where and when to infuse operations with technology. And lastly, why empowering the workforce with skills and capabilities is key to success. There's a green revolution happening in Europe and across the world, and one of the major shifts leading the way in that revolution is the move to electric vehicles. In 2021, some 6.5 million electric vehicles were sold, which was up almost 110% from the year before. And with all these new EVs rolling out into our roads, they need batteries to power them. That's a lot of batteries, and therefore a lot of factories, known as gigafactories, to make them, with 30 planned in Europe alone. This episode of McKinsey Talks Operations investigates the role of gigafactories in the global economy's move towards reducing carbon emissions, and why construction of these sites is just as important as the products they produce in achieving net zero. Joining me today is Stefano Pichatelli, who's the Vice President of Group Construction at Norfolk, Evan Horetsky, a partner in our Stockholm office, and Mark Backer, an expert associate partner in our office in Amsterdam. Great to have you all here. Welcome. Thanks, Daphne. Yeah, it's, it's incredible that the need for energy storage as the world turns over to a decarbonized industry, to a carbon neutral industrial base. I mean, when solar and wind gets installed on the energy grid or as electric vehicles launch in mass into cities, you need a lot of batteries. Specifically, we measure this amount of production of batteries in gigawatt hours or the amount of energy that is stored in each of those batteries being produced. And in 2014, this number was something like 35 gigawatt hours per year being produced in the world. That was actually pretty big. That was 20, 30 production lines of battery. Now, the projection into 2025 and beyond is over 3,000 gigawatt hours per year, or basically 100x that need. And it's all because each of the industrial growths or product growths uh, that we talk about are going to need these batteries to really drive them. The gigafactories themselves are, are front and center of this, this impressive industrialization needed. Yeah, fascinating, isn't it? And Stefano, I wanted to bring you in here. Why does the you know EV battery manufacturer require such specialized sites? It's not an easy challenge, is it? Hey, Daphne, and uh, thank you for having me. Well, absolutely. Gigafactory are simply the answer to this incredible and continuously increasing demand for batteries that uh, Evan was mentioning. And uh, why so? First of all, is their capacity to supply what we call a gigascale. Just to elaborate to what Evan said, since I joined the company three years ago, we have continuously been revising upward our plan. And if we look only at our first gigafactory, originally it was supposed to provide 32 giga, and now it's at 60. So this is also because the economy of scale is what actually enables us to meet our ambitious cost target. If we look at cells, they are a substantial part of the vehicle cost. And despite all pushes and subsidies that drive now the sector, for a full transformation, what we really need is to ensure that batteries are also competitive on the market. And building at scale fast 
and uh, at continuously reduced capex, it was actually allow us to get there. Fantastic. And, you know, if we're thinking about some of the challenges in getting that planning and building done and delivering um, a gigafactory, how would you say it differs from other major capital projects? Okay, first of all, we build the plane as we fly here. The technology is uh, continuously evolving in an effort uh, to being always more competitive and more efficient. How many giga you can fit in a building, for instance, uh, or what is, let's say, perfect balance between the footprint uh, and output in terms of gigawatt tower. So it is very agile and fast. And the construction industry is normally very traditional, very risk adverse. So this is definitely a huge challenge because we don't need to transform only the EV sector. We also have to transform the construction business. And on top of this, uh, we have seen that the huge challenge are the raw material and how we actually access what drives the basic element in a battery. And uh, in this case, I can uh, tell a bit of a specific trait of Norfolk, which is the vertical integration, which means that we don't only build gigafactory, but also cathode active material plant and recycling plant. This means that on the same site, you can actually have uh, very different technology and need very, very different capacity, skill and competencies. Wow, it's a really a complex challenge. Evan, I wanted to bring you back in here. What can the role of a digital twin be in helping organizations just kind of navigate this and also anticipate some of the risks potentially? Thanks, Stephanie. And I want to build on a bit of what Stefano said. They're building the, the plane while they're trying to fly it, right? Like, why is that so? Uh, well, battery man- manufacturing for lithium-ion batteries is actually kind of an old industry, at least 40, 50 years, these lithium-ion batteries have been made at scale. However, everyone is having this challenge of designing and iterating on new cells and new equipment, on new gigafactories recently, because, like I said before, this amount of scale had never before been seen. Uh, Lithium-ion cell manufacturing is really, really, really hard. It was hard back in the early 2000s, and it's hard now. And when you add this scale, when you add this need for speed, how do you get to 3,000 when we fought so hard to get one factory up with 35 gig one hours per year? You run into kind of compounding changes and compounding complexities on first, the, the product to the production technology, what people call design for manufacturing, the way in which the building might be wrapped around this equipment, the, the way in which you estimate the utility or the electrical and piping needs, and then the way in which you just turn on these lines and try to get material and people and lights on in the shop itself to start making cells. And, and you know, to put it in perspective, when we're talking about this, Stefano said 60 gigawatt hours per year, that could be 2 million or more cells a day. You know, this we're talking hundreds per second coming off of these lines, and it's many lines in parallel. There's a point in which I I think it's quite obvious that you need a very well thought out and very lean digital backbone to control all of this. And honestly, there's also been for 20, 40 years, a talk of industry 4.0, digital twin, factory of the future kind of buzzword. But what does this really mean? This really means for battery manufacturing, you need an idea of how you put into a database the exact characteristics 
of the equipment and the changes to your equipment that you're putting in this factory. And then you use this, this model or this, this compendium of information about your factory equipment, what's really important, the things that make the cells, and you use that to connect to each of your other design and planning efforts. How many pipes do you need to connect for this equipment to turn on? How big should the beams be on the structure for this? It's very important to get the first thing right, this equipment simulation, and early on, maybe two, three years before you need to start up the factory and then build off of that. Whereas many other players, almost all other players right now, are kind of building digital twins in silos. I think also because it's such a sexy topic. Uh, the construction team might have a building information model, a digital twin of the, of the building itself. It's separate from the equipment digital twin. It's separate from the material control tower or supply chain look that people are using to find the materials. So instead, I think what we need to do moving forward is this interconnectedness. And uh, Daphne, if I can chime in, uh, and I perfectly agree with, with Evan that the temptation is to work in silos, but the real benefit is to connect them all uh, in one unique blueprint that can connect cross-functionally all the different disciplines and uh, what, at the end of the day, uh, generate not only the capex, but also the operational cost of, uh, of the factory. And Mark, we should bring you in here now. Stefano has been talking about, you know, building the plane while we're in flight. But a playbook is emerging. Getting it wrong is such a high risk and has such costs associated with it. So can you talk a bit more about the playbook that's emerging? Yeah, sure. Great to be here, Daphne. So maybe building on this need for cost efficiency, right? And, and using things like Digital Twin to drive, uh, drive down cost and, and increase the speed of getting these plants ramped up. Maybe to start with, what we see when we look at a lot of these plants globally, and we look at plants that have been constructed and those that are under construction, we see a very large variation in capex cost. So that means the investment cost per gigawatt hour. We see ranges of three times the cost between one plant versus the other. We also see big ranges in the timeline of getting these plants actually into operation and ranges in the OPEX, so the operational cost when they are ramped up. Now, some of this can be contributed to location. Some locations simply are cheaper to build than others, but it doesn't explain the full range. And I think there, a lot of investors and owners of battery plants are now trying to really optimize the way that they roll out these plants, build these playbooks, these blueprints, as Stefano said, and really leverage the learnings that they have internally to get faster production up and running at a cheaper cost, plant by plant by plant. And a digital twin is, of course, one of the tools to do that and also to capture these learnings centrally in the organization. And Evan Stefano has talked about the complexity of these operations and the need for very specialized skills and talent. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. If you dive into the Gigafactory, you know, what do we talk when we're making cells about in, in terms of process? This is incredibly hard, like I said before, and I think one of the main reasons is because unlike automotive manufacturing, even pharmaceuticals, heavy industry, uh, making a battery cell is not one type of factory. It's like multiple independent specialties and types of factories under one roof. First, you are making this foil, people call it a roll-to-roll -roll process. It's like you're making paper or maybe you're making uh, films, uh, but now the films have 
a metal on them and the films themselves are made of a different metal, right? Which makes things quite complicated. Then you have assembly or more like this microcontrolling high speed pick in place or this micro assembly like you might have putting together a, I don't know, a cell phone or, or a product that you own. And then you have this formation or this characterization steps at the end of your battery factory. These are the steps that are are setting up the cell to be lasting long, et cetera. And this is like a, almost like a data center. It's, it's a bunch of cells with a bunch of electronics being charged and discharged and heated up and cooled down for sometimes two weeks at a time. So again, it's quite complex. You need very specialized skills. You need people that are, are electronic technicians. You need people that know these high-volume automatic microcontrol systems. You need people that know roll-to-roll conveyors. And you need people that know metallurgy and fluid dynamics of these, these metals in, in solvents. Again, it's quite complicated. And people are on a, let's say, hunt or a competition for this labor because it's, it's again, quite limited because this, this scale has only just started in the industry in the last 10 years. As we talked about the plan in Europe, I think um, we know of 30 sites that are planned in Europe. But where is the need greatest, Evan? We're going to actually need hundreds or well over 100 of these factories worldwide. Greater China and, and Asia has been leading on the number and size of gigafactories, and it will, it will continue to lead. With the Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S., there is a huge and urgent momentum for players throughout the world to move into American manufacturing of these gigafactories. I think that's a great thing because also the, the consumers are mainly in China, America, India. Uh, so having a manufacturing base in the U.S. I think is a great thing. And, and then Europe has a consortium of needs, right? Mostly in, in Germany, France, and Spain. You'll need these batteries, but really uh, spread out across the European regions. You have this need. And the Nordics are bubbling up to be a bit of the, call it a Silicon Valley of sustainability, in that they are, are really building up an ecosystem for these battery factories and other renewable and sustainable techs. So, so we'll see a large spike in talent and, and spike in factory bring up in the Nordics as well. Mark, I wanted to bring you into the conversation, right? Is, is this understood by the investment community? Is there more to do there to ensure that the investors meet the opportunity? So I think that for sure there is a lot of interest from investors. Is it sufficient? I think that's a big question. Uh, right now we see a lot of billions of private investments uh, going into companies like Northvolt. I think a big question, I'm sure Evan can uh, go deeper on that, is whether that will be sufficient to drive the, the huge need for these plants moving forward. There has been a series of private equity investors that have, have led rounds in Europe that have been quite impressive. You know, Northvolt, uh, I think, was one of the top private investing rounds most recently when they got over a billion dollars in funding to help launch these gigafactories. So you see investors in Europe, uh, a lot of these consortiums in, in the Nordics, they're investing heavily into the sustainability tech and into the gigafactories. The U.S., uh, I think it seems was was maybe either a bit more skeptical for longer or was looking for the right like final incentives like Inflation Reduction Act to really go in. But we're seeing an amazing upswing in investment in North America as well now. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. 
Let's change um, tack a little bit. When we have these gigafactories and once they're in operation, how green are they really? And what are the opportunities to limit their environmental impact? Stefano, probably um, first to you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this uh, requires a tremendous amount of energy to produce batteries. And if you end up taking that energy from coal or fossil fuel, then actually you're not that green after all. The key revolution is to ensure that you use renewable to feed your gigafactory. And this is actually one of the main points that we have been pursuing quite hard. Where do we find energy that is renewable and in that amount? Well, there are not many sites. We managed to secure one in the north of Sweden, but Sweden is pretty, especially the north, is pretty rich of uh, wind and hydro plant. But if you look at Germany, then the mission has been a bit toughest. Uh, we had to go to the north and, uh, and look at where uh, the energy is coming from wind farm to, to seek them. This means that somehow uh, you end up finding locations that are perhaps not the primary for uh, either access to your customer or to, let's say, material, to contractors or to the right uh, skill and competence. But it's definitely an essential, uh, let's say, factor if you want to be green. And then is the supply chain and what you really put into the battery. And uh, if you don't get the proper traceability of the raw material, then uh, uh, your carbon footprint at the end will not really be under control. Yeah. Mark, Evan, anything to add there? Yeah, I think, Stefano, I said earlier, the, if the cost of an electric vehicle is primarily in the battery, the carbon emissions of the electric vehicle is overwhelmingly in the battery. So we, we need this battery to have a low, full wheel-to-well uh, carbon footprint. Right. This includes the logistics to get material to the factory, getting the cells out. This is using all renewable electricity. And then just, I call it simplify and delete anything you can. I think the, the battery pack or the battery itself should be more simple. I think the factory should be more simple. You should fight to use less pipe, use less electricity. All right. This is where smart engineers, smart talent coming up can, can really make a difference on sustainability and on faster scale to battery production. And uh, Evan, the, going back to the digital twin, it's another tool. We know how, let's say, hard how to predict the consumption of uh, utilities of these processes. So getting a better grip and uh, control on how much utilities really these uh, processes will end up consuming uh, will definitely help not only the capex, but ultimately also the carbon footprint of the gigafactory itself. And I think when you talk about CAPEX and, and, and carbon footprint, I mean, there's a lot of uh, attention on the final operating process of the plant and how green is the battery itself. I think another angle that, that will come to the forefront more and more is how green are you actually building your plant itself, right? So what materials are you using there? Are you optimizing the usage of green materials in your factory itself where you build your green batteries? I think that's the next step that can even reduce further this uh, carbon footprint. Yeah, fascinating. Thanks for adding that, Mark. That's great. So, team, what is next for gigafactory development? It, uh, it sounds like we've only just started. I, I think maybe, maybe to start with, right, um, there's a lot of things happening. I think with the 
bigger and bigger maturity that we're getting in how to build these gigafactories, I think you see a whole landscape forming with certain EPC contractors, certain OEMs and other suppliers really uh, are getting used to this landscape, getting specialized in it. There's new entrants, for instance, in the equipment markets coming in. And all of that means that uh, the, the whole supply landscape becomes more mature and, and can deliver these plants more effectively. This is also about the relationships in this market. So uh, what we see, at least, is that uh, certain battery manufacturers are getting long-term relationships with suppliers and EPC contractors, plant by plant, to, to jointly learn and to jointly, jointly improve on this. So I think, I think that, that is sort of a professionalization of an industry which a couple of years ago was really trying to still find out how to build these plants most effectively. Yeah, no, no doubt. That's the, the key. If we have spent time discussing digital twin and design and engineering, the next it's really how to work on a full value chain of all the partners that contribute to a gigafactory. I mean, we had to put tremendous effort in the company to deliver our first, and now we have to deliver two, three, four. I mean, there is no way we can do it without a proper network of trusted partners and suppliers. And uh, where do we find them? That's super hard. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, the construction industry is by tradition very risk adverse and not used to the speed and agility that we need. Yeah, fascinating. And it, it sounds like also we need to change the relationships. You know, this is where colleagues have been talking about the implications of collaborative contracting, for example, so that everybody has skin in the game as you work towards these new quite ambitious goals. That's 100% correct. I believe that especially when you are then chased by lenders and investors and also they are not really super in favor of risk, then you might be pushed to try to transfer skin in the game and risk on a partner and supplier and contractor as much as possible. But what is really key if you want to build not a transactional relation but a partnership is to align with this, let's say, contractor and understand, okay, how do we share the risk? Which risk should you own, typically productivity and interface management? And which risk should I own, typically technology roadmap and, uh, and, and interface with processes? And if we find the right balance, this is really what generates that type of win-win uh, setup that will help us not just building one gigafactory, but with the same partner, two, three, and four, at reduced uh, cost and time. And I think when, when you talk about three, four of these plants that you build together, you can also escape from this eternal problem in the construction industry that there is a focus on one project. You know, as a contractor, we have to get our profitability out of this one project. And if for some reason the, the incentives are not aligned or the contract is pushing risk towards us, it becomes sort of a battlefield of claims and counterclaims and, and change orders start to increase the cost. And, and by really aligning incentives across multiple plants, uh, we see that you can escape that sort of competitive positioning and work together and, and both profit from it by working more efficiently together. Yeah, that's great, Mark. And, you know, and that's what's needed, really, because we need to get this all mobilized quickly. Let me finish with one last question here. I know we could spend hours talking about this topic. We're all passionate about it. But let's talk about the kind of the nature of ecosystems and how they are emerging to kind of help shepherd this along. Mark, what are we seeing there? Like I said earlier, I think 
the end-to-end value chain is becoming more mature. Maybe two things to mention. One is the long-term relationships with the EPC contractors. And the other one, which I find very interesting, and, and I think Evan can also go deeper on that one, is the equipment producers uh, that actually machine producers, what we see in Europe, who have not been active in the battery industry, are now seeing this as a great opportunity, getting into this industry and therefore creating more capacity and also more competition, which should also drive costs down. Absolutely. There, there are regional ecosystems developing where the entire value chain, renewable energy supply, raw material, battery cell manufacturing, recycling is coming together. This is very exciting. And then there's ecosystems building around some of the key bottlenecks. First, raw material, labor, and then equipment. I, I, I'm really excited about the equipment innovations I'm seeing, whereas in some cases, a, a piece of equipment that, let's say, what was producing 1x the batteries uh, a year ago, there are players from from other industries, paper, pulp, tobacco making, etc., that might be looking at equipment that's making 10x those cells in just four years. Stefano, let me leave you the last word. How would you summarize where Northvolt is at the moment and your prospective future for you guys? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I mean, I believe what we are doing is exactly to build on the on the four pillars that we have uh, discussed during this interesting conversation. So we are really pushing uh, engineering to find the balance uh, between flexibility. We are working very hard on st- strategic supply chain and partnership with both contractors and equipment manufacturer. We are definitely working on a playbook or a digital twin, a blueprint, something that allows us not to reinvent the wheel. And last but not least, we don't do anything without people. So we have to retain our talent and we have to continuously enrich the, let's say, pool of our competence and skill. This is what really allows us to, let's say, keep driving an incredible journey as we have done so far. That's a great place to finish this conversation. Stefano, thank you so much, Mark and Evan, for joining me in this initial conversation about Gigafactories. We look forward to um, talking to you again in a few months down the line to see um, how this journey is progressing around the world. Thanks so much for being with us. You've been listening to McKinsey Talks Operations with me, Daphne Luchtenberg. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We'll be back with a brand new episode in a couple of weeks.